Welcome to the podcast, How to Run and Grow Your Solo Patent Practice with Anant Kataria and Fez Wahid of Sagacious IP. This is a one-of-its-kind podcast focused on existing and aspiring solo or small patent practitioners, interviewing successful solo or small patent practitioners, and bringing to you proven, actionable insights to start, build, and grow your patent practice. Learn firsthand how to acquire, serve, and retain clients for long-term success. All this while effectively juggling the multiple roles that one has to play as a solo or small patent practitioner. If you run a solo or small patent practice or are planning to start one, whether you're currently in a mid-size or big law firm or coming fresh out of law school, this podcast series will help you learn from the successful ones who have faced and overcome the challenges you are dealing with. So let's get into the podcast with your hosts, Anant Kataria and Fez Wahid. Welcome to today's episode of Solo Patent Practitioner Podcast. Our guest for today is Linda Lewis, patent attorney. She started her career as a research chemist for Monsanto, then went on to law school at night to become a patent attorney. She's from San Antonio, Texas. In 1991, she went into private practice as a patent attorney. In 2011, she co-founded Creative Venture Law. And in 2020, she founded Linda Lewis Law. Linda provides her clients with well-reasoned, sound legal advice regarding patents, trademarks, and copyrights. Hi, Linda. Welcome to our podcast. Hi, it's nice to be here. Well, thank you so much. So, uh, Linda, it would be you know great if we start with a quick uh, introduction about uh, about your practice. Okay. Um, my uh, technical training and background is in chemistry, biochemistry, and pharmaceuticals. And so uh, many of my clients have inventions relating to chemistry, biochemistry, and pharmaceuticals. I also do simple mechanical devices, but I am not an engineer. And so if you have a sophisticated mechanical or electrical device, I uh, can't help with that. Um, and those kinds of inventions I refer out. Uh, trademarks are often part of my client's business plan to uh, brand their products. And so I can help them with that. And the copyrights tend to be fairly simple and straightforward as, get, as far as getting a, a copyright registration. Perfect. Yeah, thank you for this intro. And we'd like to learn more from your experience. Why did you choose to go solo or set up your own practice? So you were working at Monsanto before and then you did law firm and then you probably had a choice to join the practice or start solo or maybe again, join a corporate in their IP division, but you know, you, you made this choice. So what led to that? It'll be, uh, it'll be interesting for our audience to uh, understand the thought process behind that. Well, I think that um, timing had a lot to do with my choices. So um, I had been uh, off counsel with a, um, a, a large law firm, a well-established and well-known law firm in St. Louis. And um they had made a firm decision that they wanted to get out of intellectual property. They had um, kind of dabbled in intellectual property, which is patents, trademarks, and copyrights, and um, decided that wasn't where they wanted to go. And so at that point, I needed to evaluate my opportunities. And um, the best opportunity that seemed to have the greatest potential for um, building my name and my clientele and of course, my earning power was to uh, start a law firm with another 
patent attorney, and we were a boutique law firm. We were um, strictly intellectual property. So if you wanted to do mergers and acquisitions, or if you wanted to do business law or insurance law or whatever, we didn't go there. We were a boutique law firm that had our focus. And in that process, um, it was a fantastic learning process for me because I'd never started a business before. And starting a law firm is starting a business. And so um, I learned a very steep learning curve those first few years of starting a business and complying with um, tax laws and, and making sure our malpractice was properly handled, um, all the things that... Um, all the details of running a, a law firm, I had to learn that. And um, when I was working for the, the very large 500 attorney firm before, of course, I didn't have to do that. They had that all in place. So for um, those years of being in a, a partnership with another attorney, I learned a great deal. And what I learned was, hey, I'm not just good at being an attorney. I'm good at business. And if you're good at business, you can make things, really make things go. So when I say I'm good at business, what I found was that I could go out and meet with people and build contacts and build relationships, and they hired me, okay? I could sell myself, I could sell my skills, and they would hire me to do their legal work. And that's where you kind of start with your own practice, is you make those contacts. And then, as time passed, I found that I would be happier working alone than working with the other attorney for various reasons. I don't want to get into it, but I, I found that I would be happier working alone. And so when I went alone, I was even freed up more because even under the best of circumstances, when you're in business with a partner, you're going to have some conflicts. They might be small, they might be large, but you're going to have some conflicts that you have to deal with. And when I went solo, those conflicts disappeared. And so I was kind of in my happy place where I made my decisions. There were expenses I was able to cut significantly, which when you're in business and you cut your expenses, then that means you take home more money. And so I don't think I would have ever gone willingly from the large firm to solo without that middle step. Because I learned so much in starting the law firm in that business and working with the other attorney. That was a, a great opportunity to learn. And by the time I was ready to go solo, I knew exactly what to do and how to do it. Perfect. Sounds really good. I also heard other attorneys say that law school teaches you the practice of law. They don't teach you the business of law. So that's something you learn on your own when you are, as you said, when you go join a big law firm, there are so many things that are already taken care of. So you focus just on the legal skill set that you have. But when you're starting off on your own, there are so many other things. Learn them in the process. And I'm glad, like you said, your strength of uh, building network, building contacts, and be able to sell your services. Yeah, I think I can totally appreciate that. You really cannot start a solo practice. I don't think you can really start a solo practice just by putting up a website, okay? You have to be out making contacts. And, of course, we are living through a pandemic, so that's not helpful to do that. I went to a lot of meetings and a lot of lunches and a lot of coffees and a lot of happy hours just to meet people. And 
You have to be smart about things. You have to evaluate what succeeds and what doesn't succeed. One of the things that I spent quite a bit of time on was there's where I live in St. Louis, Missouri, there's a number of accelerators and incubators. And I would go to those quite often because a lot of people that are in those situations are looking for attorneys. They want to find an attorney who will work with them. There was one um, accelerator that I would go to on Thursday nights because they would have basically, they had free beer. And so that was how they would draw people in and they would have a speaker talk about startups and innovation and that sort of thing. And I would go to these meetings and pretty much I met people who were interested in free beer but had absolutely no money. <laughs> and so they, they never hired an attorney and they never hired me. And, and so I kind of figured out pretty quickly, my clients are not going to come from this group, you know. I have to have clients that at least have a little bit of money to spend on an attorney. And those guys just wanted the free beer. And so it was fun. I, I enjoy meeting people. It was not productive. And so you always have to be thinking about this. You know, what is productive? What gets me clients? What pans out? Yeah, that's actually one of the questions I had for you, that how did you generate business? So you said, yeah, it was about going out and meeting people. And then you also said, you know, uh, going out to chosen places. I mean, not places which you clearly know that if I go there, that's not going to generate business. And you learned that in the process. But if you had to, you know, share with our audience any more insights into how, what you did to generate business for your firm, I think that would be, as you might know, the audience of this podcast is solo practitioners and the ones who are aspiring to earn their own practice, who want to learn from your experiences and, you know, based on that, probably make up their mind, you know, jump the gun and, you know, start there. Any uh, insights would be inspirational for them. I always um, made the most of every opportunity. So there were people who would call, you know, call up cold and say, I need to talk to an attorney. And they quite often they'd start the conversation. I don't have any money, but. And so what I did um, for that is I prepared and had on my uh, computer hard drive little um, write-ups, simple little write-ups on what is a patent, what is a trademark, what is a copyright. And I said, you know, I would say, okay, I understand you can't hire me. I understand that you can't, you don't have money to spend on an attorney. Can I just send you some useful information? And they would say, oh yeah, sure. So I'd get their email, I'd send them information. And with that information, of course, I had my contact information. So if their situation ever changed, or if their situation was such that they met someone who was looking for an attorney, they would have my contact information and they would have a positive outcome of a conversation with me. So I always had that ready to send to anybody who would ask for information or if I uh, networked with someone who said, um, you know, I'm not in a situation to hire you. Well, that's fine. Can I send you some information on intellectual property? So that's a kind of way of making the most of every opportunity. And then another thing I learned as I built my practice was I would have clients that, um, work for me. Most of my clients were uh, very small businesses or startups. I have some, um, I've worked my way up into some medium sized businesses now, which is very nice. What I learned to do was always ask my clients for referrals. So when we would have a conversation and we would wrap up our conversation, I would say, you know, I always appreciate referrals. So if you know anybody who's looking for an attorney, please give them my name. And they almost always would say, oh, I never thought of that. You know, Joe is looking for an attorney. See, they're not thinking about my business. They're thinking about their business. Right, right. So I would encourage them, think about my business. Okay. 
uh, built a significant a number, uh, really the middle-sized um, businesses I have were referrals from people who, who worked at those places. So ask your clients to, you know, just tell them, I really appreciate referrals. If you can give me a referral, I'd appreciate it because they're not thinking about building your law firm for you. They're not doing that. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good advice. You know, probably nonsense. Like when someone is happy with my work, I should, I should ask them to connect me with more people that they think might also like my work or might also need my work. But, you know, this does not appear occur so organically in in life in generally people are not so they don't easily seek referrals even i don't you know i had to make it a practice i had to learn how to seek referrals and i think when people hear such insights or such uh, you know inputs tips from experienced people who've done that like yourself i think it kind of uh, reinforces this idea so th- thanks for sharing that and thanks for sharing that it worked for you yeah so, um, Linda, what were the top three challenges you experienced in the initial uh, phases of, you know, going solo, I would say? Well, I think that um, in setting up a, a law practice, you have to be very, very careful that you don't have ethics violations. Of course, you don't do anything that would be adverse to your clients. And so, uh, setting up record keeping, okay, good record keeping, good keeping of confidential files, complying with your malpractice insurance policy. Um, all of those things come into play. And so I know the Missouri Bar Association has excellent resources for starting a law firm. Okay, they're excellent resources. And I would think that most most bar associations would have that for their, their attorneys. And so I would definitely avail myself of that. Also, when you sign up for malpractice insurance, my, law, uh, my insurance company provides a lot of good information on how to not get yourself in a pickle, you know, and how to not um, violate the ethics rules or anything that would be adverse to your client. And so you really need to spend time investigating that and making sure that you uh, have done things correctly. My insurance, my malpractice insurance company will do things like review my engagement letter. So I have, anytime that I have a new client, we have a, a contract, an engagement letter in place. And there are uh, ethics guidelines for what you can put in that. And my insurance company will review that for me. And they will tell me whether I'm um, causing myself problems or whether it's compliant. They reviewed my uh, website when I set up my website for the content, okay? So those are things that you really need to avail yourself of and plan for a significant amount of time to nail that stuff down, okay? Docketing systems are extremely important. Um, you need to have a very, very good docketing system. Fortunately now, um, well, years ago, if you did an online docketing system where you used the software for, for docketing, it was horrifically expensive. I mean, years ago, it was just so terribly expensive. Fortunately, today, there's a number of docketing systems designed for clients like me who are solo or very small, and we need a good docketing system, but we don't have, you know, 5000 a month to put into it. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's really nice now that there's more option, okay, to have that. And there's a really good online firm management software that I use that is just a dream come true. It's just so nice. It's I do all my timekeeping through it for each matter mm-hmm. and all of my billing through it and all of my accounting through it. I have no accounting support because this online software that I use makes it very simple for me to do myself and I don't need to have a system 
system. That's really good. That's would you be okay sharing which tool it is? I think that yeah, would be helpful. It's called Clio, C L I O. Clio, have you heard of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course I've heard of them. Yeah, they have not experienced tool in depth myself, but I've reviewed it and I like what they do. Clio is very simple to use and they have um, online support, which is fantastic because I am not a computer nerd and furthermore, I'm not young. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not as savvy as a lot of the younger people like my children are so savvy and I'm not but with their support I never have problems this piece of advice is going to be very helpful for people who listen to this and you know it's uh, it's like free marketing for Cleo coming from you <laughs> so that's good Cleo should give me a pat on the head or something <laughs> <laughs> but they're very very good they're very they're a very very good service yeah that's great thanks for sharing that with us and you've touched on this point a little bit in the previous answer you gave but I think I'd still ask it there's probably more that you would like to share so as a solo practitioner you know you have to wear many hats and juggle between many roles how do you do that and what kind of support system have you built for that you've already shared a bit but if there's if there's more you'd like to elaborate more I think we're here all year I think that really happy. the thing that I have to remind myself of is this takes time and you just spend the time if I get in a rush or I get behind and I'm kind of distracted from the, the business of running the business it doesn't work now if you want and people do this you can hire people that are your support staff but I can promise you it's not cheap okay it's not cheap and so what I have found for me is if I you know schedule the time I can do it and I know exactly you know where my finances are I know exactly where I stand in terms of payments and accounts or people paying me are they behind in payments um, mm -hmm. I know all of that but it takes time um, and so with my my business I, I I have the part of my business where I'm billing hours and I'm earning money. That's part of it. And then I have the other part of my business where I'm spending time doing business, you know, making the business go. And you, you can't shortcut that. You see what I'm saying? You really have to be on top of that. Right. So, Linda, you mentioned you, you've worked a lot with small companies, startups, and also now with mid-sized companies. Right. Uh, so would you like to throw some light on what kind of, you know, how you've been uh, able to assess startup and if you know there's any inputs any guidance or any best practices from there that you would like to share one of the things that I, I try and guide my clients regarding their intellectual property estate is prioritizing their spending so most of my clients and probably every client in reality has only so much money to spend on intellectual property and so I try to guide them to use their money most as effectively as they possibly can so what that means is with patents and getting patent coverage on inventions getting an early date is very important it's very valuable to get an early date on your patent because it's possible that somebody else is working on the same problem and they're coming up with things and maybe even the same things that does happen periodically and if they file their application before you do they get a patent and you don't okay so an early date is very important so I say if you're going to have to uh, get patent coverage put your money in that area first and then 
And clients will say, well, I want these trademark registrations. Well, trademark registrations are very important. They're valuable for, for branding your product. But here's the deal. If you make a product and you sell the product, you label the product, you brand the product, you can file a trademark application on that anytime. Now, it's possible that somebody else will beat you to it, but that really has not been as common as it has been with invention. So if I want to start my business and I only have a little bit of money to spend for my lawyer, I get my patent coverage, I start to see if this product is going to make some money. And then if it does, I can start getting some trademark registration. So I, I try and teach the clients how to prioritize their spending. Don't spend all your money on trademarks and then fail to get your patent. That's not a wise business choice, right? And so that's some of it. And then another thing too is I, I try to tell my clients about getting layers of protection. Okay, so I have got a patent application filed. I have my federal date. I have that secured. Now I want to go to talk to somebody about developing and selling this product. I advise the client also take your non-disclosure agreement. First of all, mm -hmm. it may take five or 10 years in a bad situation, say five years to get a patent. Before that patent issues, you have no protection in force. So take that contract with you and get that signed because then you'll have your patent application filed and you'll have contract law protecting you. Two layers mm -hmm. of protection. So I advise them regarding that sort of protection, okay? So there's things like that that I guide them as far as protecting their products, protecting their intellectual property, prioritizing their spending, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, and I think uh, I think all these, uh, specifically the point about NDA, that's very important. Yes. I think uh, even if you have an application that you've filed, you still should have an NDA. You don't know what outcome of that application is going to be. So, exactly. yeah, for instance, yeah. Right. So those are some of the things that I advise clients. On. And then sometimes I advise clients to not file a patent application. Clients come in and they say, well, I have this method of making something and I want to get a patent on it. And I, you know, I'll talk to them about it and I said, you know, when you get a patent on this method, then it's published and your competitors can read this method. And I said, how will you enforce it? How will you know what's going on in their chemical plant or their pharmaceutical plant to enforce this method? You won't know. And I said, a lot of times publishing a method harms you more than it helps you as far as a patent goes. And so sometimes they shouldn't get a patent. They should keep it a trade secret. A trade secret, number one, is free. <laughs> number two, it never ends. And they've been used very effectively. Coca-Cola has a, a trade secret on their product, you know, and they've made a lot of money. So there's times that I tell clients, I don't think in terms of a business, a patent is what you should do. Right. So essentially, uh, so it's like, you know, if I'm a startup and I engage... It's more like getting a virtual IP council or chief IP council for my business instead of just someone who's going to file application for me on my right. IP. Right. Okay, perfect. Linda, what would be, let's say, a message that you would like to give to our audience, you know, fellow solo practitioners or the ones uh, aspiring to be practitioners starting their own practice? Well, I would say that every person that you meet, uh, I was told this by a friend many years ago, that every time you meet someone, when that person walks away, they're better for having met you. Okay. And so it's a way of saying, I want to be 
helpful in you being successful, however I meet you, whether I'm meeting you at a restaurant or at a, at a grocery store or down the street from my house, because you never know where that's going to end. You never know what's going to be something significant in your life. And so always treat people as being significant and worth treating well. One of the best clients I ever had was a salesman. He sold tools and he walked into my office and he says, I need help. And I said, I'll try and help you. And we worked together on it. And he, as a traveling salesman, told everybody he met about me. And I had no idea, right? I had no idea that he was going to go and knock on all these doors of these businesses and tell people about this patent attorney that he met. And so if I had just looked at him and said, this guy, he just, you know, sells tools. Why would I talk to him? That would have been a huge loss and a and loss of a friend. He was a great friend. So you have to just view people as valuable that you can, you know, you can can give them a hand up or a handshake or whatever, maybe not during a pandemic or whatever. And life plays out with that. It really does. Well, this is great. Great piece of advice. Thank you for sharing that. So, Linda, you know, thank you for this inspiring talk. I'm sure the examples and practices you've shared will help our listeners. And, uh, you know, in case they have any questions for you, how can they contact you? Well, my um, e email at my law firm would probably be the best way. Okay. And so that is law2020 at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you for listening to the podcast, How to Run and Grow Your Solo Patent Practice, with your hosts Anant Kataria and Fez Wahid from Sagacious IP. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate it and listen to more episodes in the series. For more information about supporting your practice with external resources, write to us at info at sagaciousresearch.com. Please do note that the contents of this podcast were intended for general informational purposes only. The views of the guests and hosts were their personal views and do not represent Sagacious IP. The facts of every legal matter are unique, and the content of this podcast should not be considered as offering legal advice for your specific legal situation. The preceding information may be considered attorney advertisement and does not establish an attorney-client relationship.